Sunday blessings to you all. This is the Lord's Day, the day of resurrection that commences a new week and offers a new opportunity to be drawn by grace more deeply into the paschal mystery of Jesus Christ. Through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, may each of us graciously respond to Jesus' invitation to live more deeply his passion, death, and glorious resurrection and ascension and be drawn into loving communion with God our Father. You are listening to Encountering Jesus with the Church Fathers, a podcast pondering patristic commentary and insight on the sacred scriptures, the sacred liturgy, and living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Father Mark, and I welcome you to this podcast on the Feast of the Transfiguration of the Lord. Since the Transfiguration is a Feast of the Lord, it supersedes the 18th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Guiding us today in opening the Word of God, once again is Origin of Alexandria, or as some scholars note, Origin of Caesarea. Regarded as an ancient Christian writer, he undeniably influenced some of the great fathers of the church, as well as believers and theologians throughout the centuries. He died around the year 254, approximately six months after being released from prison, during which he was tortured relentlessly for his devotion to Jesus Christ. Origen was a prolific writer, and many of his writings are extant and relatively accessible. On this Feast of the Transfiguration of the Lord, we will listen to an excerpt from his commentary on the Gospel according to St. Matthew, which has been proclaimed at Mass today. In addition, a link appears in the podcast description to a posting of an excerpt from Father Jean Corbon's book, Wellspring of Worship, wherein he ponders the mystery of Jesus' transfiguration. And now, from Origen's commentary on the Gospel according to St. Matthew. After six days, according to Matthew and Mark, he took Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them by themselves up a high mountain, and he was transfigured before them. It seems to me, not without purpose, that those who are being led by Jesus up the mountain, and who are deemed worthy of seeing his transfiguration by themselves, are led up, according to the words we have just quoted, after six days. For since the whole world, this complete creation, came into being in six days, a perfect number, for this reason, I think that one who overcomes all worldly things by no longer keeping in view the things that are seen, for they are temporal, but now things that are unseen, 
and only things that are unseen, for they are eternal, is revealed in the statement that Jesus took these particular disciples up after six days. For if any one of us wishes, with Jesus leading him, to be led by him to the high mountain, and to be deemed worthy of privately seeing his transfiguration, he must ascend above the six days, so that he may no longer gaze on things visible, nor any longer love the world or the things in the world, nor experience any worldly desire, which is the desire for bodies and bodily wealth and the glory of the flesh and all that tends to distract the soul and draw it away from the better and more divine things and to drag it down and to thrust it by the deception of this age into the midst of wealth and glory and the other desires that are enemies of truth. For when one passes beyond the six days, as we have said, one celebrates the new Sabbath, rejoicing on the high mountain at the sight of the transfigured Jesus before him. For the Logos has different forms, appearing to each onlooker as is fitting, and not revealed to anyone beyond what the onlooker can receive. You ask, however, if, when he was transfigured before those who had been led by him up the high mountain, he appeared to them in the form of God, in which he existed before, so that he maintains that the form of a slave to those below but to those who follow him after six days to the high mountain, he reveals not that form, but the form of God. But hear these words in a spiritual way, if you can, paying attention at the same time to the fact that it is not simply said that he was transfigured, but with a certain necessary addition that Matthew and Mark have written. For according to both of them, he was transfigured before them. You ask whether it is possible for Jesus to be transfigured before some with this kind of transfiguration, and at the same time not to be transfigured before others. If you wish to understand the transfiguration of Jesus before those who ascend the high mountain privately with him, consider that the Jesus of the Gospels is understood more simply and known, as one might say, according to the flesh, by those who have not ascended through elevating works and thoughts, the high mountain of wisdom, but that he is no longer known according to the flesh to those who have ascended. But it is understood as God throughout the Gospels and is contemplated according to their way of knowing in the form of God. For it is before them that Jesus is transfigured, and not in the minds of any of those below. And 
when he is transfigured, his face also shines like the sun, so that he might appear to the children of light, who have put off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light, and are no longer children of darkness or night, but have become children of the day, walking becomingly as in the day. And when he appears, he shines on them, not simply like the sun, but in a way that reveals to them that he is the son of justice. And he's not simply transfigured before these disciples, nor does he simply add to his transfiguration this shining of his face like the sun, his garments, for those who are led by him up the high mountain by themselves become white as light. The garments of Jesus are the sayings and writings of the gospel, which he has put on. I think that the things explained about him by the apostles are the garments of Jesus, which become white for those who ascend the high mountain with Jesus. But since there are different kinds of whiteness, his garments became white as the most brilliant and pure whiteness of all, and that is light. So that when you see a person not only expounding the divine reality of Jesus accurately, but even making clear the whole text of the Gospels, do not hesitate to say that to him the garments of Jesus have become white as light. And when the transfigured Son of God is understood and contemplated in this way, so that his face became as the sun and his garments white as light, there should immediately appear to the one who sees Jesus in this way, Moses the law and Elijah by a figure of speech, not simply one, but all the prophets conversing with Jesus. For this is what is meant by speaking together with him. In Luke's version, this is indicated by Moses and Elijah appeared in glory, and the rest of the passage up to the words in Jerusalem. If someone saw the glory of Moses, understanding by it the spiritual law as one with the teaching of Jesus, and the wisdom hidden in mystery in the prophets, as has seen Moses and Elijah in glory, then one sees them with Jesus. Next, since it will be necessary to explain Mark's phrasing, and in the act of praying he was transfigured before them, we should say that perhaps it is above all possible to see the word transfigured before us if we do what we have mentioned before and ascend the mountain, and see the one who is the Word himself conversing with the Father and praying to him for those for whom a true high priest would pray 
to the true and only God. And that he might thus converse with God and pray to the Father, he ascends the mountain. And then, according to Mark, his garments became white and radiant as the light, in a way that no fuller on earth is able to whiten. Perhaps the fullers on earth are those who attempt to be wise in terms of this age, which they consider brilliant and pure, so that they think that even shameful thoughts and false doctrines can be beautified by what I call their bleaching skill. But the one who reveals his garments as radiant to those who have ascended, more brilliant than anything their own bleacher's art can achieve, is the Word, offering the radiance of his thoughts in phrases of Scripture that are held in contempt by many. Since the garments of Jesus, according to Luke, became white and flashed like lightning. Let us consider then, after this, what Peter had in mind when he answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, and so on. We must investigate this verse especially, since Mark adds, as if speaking in his own voice, the words, for he did not know what he was saying. And Luke also says, not knowing what he said. You will need to establish then whether he says this in a state of ecstasy, filled with the Spirit who moves him to say these things, which cannot be the Holy Spirit. For John teaches in the Gospel that before the resurrection of the Savior, no one possessed the Holy Spirit, saying, For there was not yet a Spirit, since Jesus was not yet glorified. If there was not yet a Spirit, and the one who did not know what he was saying spoke under the impulse of some spirit, the one stirring him up to say these things was one of the spirits which had not yet been led away in triumph of the cross, nor made into a show along with those of whom it is written, disarming the powers and principalities, Christ freely made a show of them, triumphing on the cross. This, perhaps, was the scandal mentioned by Jesus, and the one referred to as Satan in the text, Get behind me, Satan, you are a scandal to me. I know that this offends many readers who think that it makes no sense for the one to be blamed who shortly before this was proclaimed blessed by Jesus, because not flesh and blood, but the Father in heaven, had revealed to him all that concerned the Savior, namely that Jesus was both the Christ and the Son of the living God. But let such a person take his stand on the precise language of Peter and the other apostles, even when they were beseeching, as if they were still aliens, the one who would buy them free from the enemy and purchase them with his precious blood. Otherwise, 
Let those who want to hold that the apostles had been made perfect even before the suffering of Jesus, tell us why Peter and those with him at the time of Jesus' transfiguration were heavy with sleep. But to anticipate a little and bring something of what comes later into the present narrative, let me raise the following questions. Is it possible that someone would take offense at Jesus apart from the activity of the devil who causes us to take offense? Is it possible to deny Jesus and that in the presence of a slave girl and a porter and other people of low rank, if there were not associating with the one denying him a spirit hostile to the spirit and wisdom given to those helped by God to make confession on the basis of some merit of theirs? Surely, anyone who has learned to refer to the root causes of sin, to the devil, the father of sin, will not say either that the apostles took offense or that Peter denied Christ three times before that cock crow apart from his influence. If this is so, it is just possible that the one who was setting everything in motion that might contribute, as far as he could bring it about, to putting obstacles in Jesus' way and to making him abandon his plan, which he so eagerly embraced, to the work of the salvation of humanity through suffering, even here once, as it were, to divert Jesus' attention by deception, suggesting that it might be a good thing no longer to adapt himself to human limitations and come down to them and accept a death for their sake, but to remain on the mountaintop with Moses and Elijah. So he promised here to build three tents, one specially for Jesus and another for Moses, and another for Elijah. As if one tent could not contain all three of them, even if they needed to remain in tents on the mountaintop. Perhaps in this, too, the one causing Peter not to know what to say was doing his evil work, not wanting Jesus and Moses and Elijah to be together, but wanting to separate them from each other under the pretext of three tents. This, too, was a lie. His saying, it is good for us to be here. For if it were good, they would also have remained there. But if it is a lie, ask yourself, who was putting the lie into circulation? especially since, according to John, when he speaks a lie, he speaks on his own, because he is a liar and the father of the lying. And just as there is no truth apart from the activity of him who says, I am the truth, so there is no falsehood apart from the enemy of truth. Two opposites, then, 
were in Peter together, truth and falsehood. On the basis of truth, he said, you are the Christ, the Son of God. But on the basis of falsehood, God forbid, Lord, this will happen to you, as well as his saying, it is good for us to be here. But if someone does not agree that Peter said these things under some influence of an evil spirit, but sees his words as the result simply of his own decision, and is asked how he would interpret the texts, not knowing what he was saying, and, for he did not know what to answer, he will say that in the earlier passage, Peter thought it slanderous and unworthy of Jesus to admit that the Son of the living God, the Christ whom the Father had just revealed to him, would be put to death. And in this passage, then when he saw the two forms of Jesus and saw that his transfigured form was so very different, he was delighted by it and said it would be good to make a longer stay on that mountain so that he and those with him might rejoice at the sight of Jesus' transfiguration, his face brilliant as the sun and his garments white as light. And in addition, that they might forever see in glory Moses and Elijah, whom they had seen in glory this once, and might rejoice at the things they would hear them saying to each other and discussing, Moses and Elijah to Jesus, and Jesus to them. All holy men and women, Pray for us. Let us pray. O God, who in the glorious transfiguration of your only begotten Son confirmed the mysteries of faith by the witness of the fathers and wonderfully prefigured our full adoption to sonship, grant, we pray, to your servants that listening to the voice of your beloved Son, we may merit to become co-heirs with him, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord.